You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Great singing tonight. If you will take your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 10 uh, or 11 tonight. We'll look at chapter 11 and a few verses from chapter 12 as well. Good to see you tonight and to welcome to those in the room. We're honored that you're with us this weekend as we've called this our wellness weekend. Good to have several guests with us and folks tuning online as well. And we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 28 tonight. And uh, you'll notice uh, you should have a bulletin uh, in front of you. Uh, we do have an outline for this evening is first, so you'll notice that first we're going to talk about the first of two sessions or studies uh, tonight, and then tomorrow at 10.30 will be our second one, but 2 Corinthians chapter 12 to or 11 tonight, and I uh, just want to encourage you to consider where God's Word speaks to you this weekend. Um, one of the things I want to reiterate that our church family has been here for some time knows this, but we believe in the all-sufficiency of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 says that the Bible has all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so there's not, it's not that there aren't times where clinical consultation or maybe physiological, there are things that need to be addressed, but they will never be out of step with the Word of God. And so we're tonight and tomorrow looking at how God speaks to that as it relates to stress is our theme this weekend. And I don't know about you, we've been through a few stressful months and years here and I'm looking forward to God just renewing us and restoring us and maybe working in your life in a specific way. Second Corinthians chapter 11, let's look, if you will, at verse 28. This will be just to set the table. So Paul, the apostle, lists all of these things that he has suffered. And he's been beaten, he's been stoned, he's been shipwrecked. The list goes on and on and on. And then at the end of that list, he makes this jarring statement in verse 28. Besides those things the things mentioned earlier, that are without. So those would be external things. That which cometh unto me, notice this word, daily, the care of all the churches. And so the thrust of Paul's writing here tonight is this. All of the crisis things that he had been through were intense, but were not as intense or as stressful as the daily grind of what God had called him to do and be. So tonight we want to look at this subject together. How do we process incremental stress, just the stress of daily life in a way that honors and glorifies the Lord. Let's pray and ask for his help tonight. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for each of these in the room willing to be open tonight to what you've led our church to minister in this, this weekend. I pray that you would stir in us, you would move in us, you would challenge us where needed, Lord, where we're looking to other things to process stress and maybe just to cope with stress. Where, Lord, your word has given us clearly directives and instruction on how to please you in the midst of living in a fallen, broken, gut-wrenching at times kind of world. We thank you that your word does speak to all things that involve life and godliness. And, Lord, in the life that you have us with all of its stressors, uh, we can live godly before you if we'll simply align with your word. Lord, with your Spirit's help tonight, I pray that you would make this practical, that we would have handles we can reach out and grab and carry out whatever specific application you have for us tonight. Pray that you would soothe hearts, you would steady minds, that you would recalibrate our thinking through the refining work of your Spirit and your Word. Bless this study tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to show you a picture as we begin tonight, and uh, this came up in my uh, feed the other uh, day. Um, this would have been, I think, yesterday. This is from a Valentine banquet that we had five years ago at Broken Rocks downtown here in Worcester. And uh, you can't see everybody in the picture, but it was striking to me, primarily the guy almost looks like there's a spotlight on him. There's Brother Raber, Howard Raber, if you knew of him, a dear man who went home to be with the Lord just a few years ago. I text this picture to Miss Shirley. I'm sure she'll be here tomorrow. But um, I just told her, I said, I miss him. And that was, that was um, shortly after he got saved. Um, and uh, Pastor Dave and I had the privilege of going to his home, and while Shirley was praying, and you could hear her just quietly weeping, we led him to Christ. It was just a powerful, she had prayed for him for 35 years or 40 years, 
and he's now with the Lord. But I was just going around the table as I looked at different pictures, and at this, in this picture specifically, between that moment where that picture was taken and today, there's a lot of stressful moments represent that table. Um, the Rabers, obviously, Brother Deal, who's at the forefront, had a pretty major eye issue that he had to deal with. I see Miss Carol in the back, her son-in-law dealing with cancer. Uh, Miss Katie and Nathan are in the far corner, which I found kind of funny. She's signing the check, so she's paying for dinner. I did notice that in the picture. But uh, Miss Katie's navigated some things, obviously, and there's just a lot of incremental stress represented at that table, as well as some traumatic things. But I think all of us, if we go back a few years and just reflect from that moment till today, we've all had the grind, right? And I think that has been uh, exacerbated or intensified by some of the things we've been through uh, recently. So I want to talk about incremental stress and how we can process it in a way uh, that pleases and honors the Lord. Now, may I say this before we look at this specifically? Much of our stress has less to do with the external things that are happening and much more to do with the interior disposition of our soul. The interior mindset, the inter, uh, internal emotional processing of whatever incremental grind uh, that we are facing. And so we're going to talk about tonight where our perspective needs to be tweaked. I can't fix what's stressing you. Uh, you can't necessarily resolve what's stressing me, but we can adjust our perspective on it and let God bring to bear His truth and His love and His comfort in the midst of what we're navigating. Now, we're going to talk about two different types of stress this weekend. The first one tonight we're going to talk about, clinically speaking, is called complex trauma or complex stress. Um, tomorrow we'll talk about acute stress, which deals with crisis-type levels. Um, this, what we're talking about tonight, is what is called complex uh, traumatic stress. In fact, it would be labeled as CPTS, complex post-traumatic stress. And so there are probably things tonight that you have gone through that you're still processing and I'm thankful that God's Word gives us hope as we face and navigate uh, the complexities of living in this world. Uh, and just a few examples of this that may help you identify where you're working through this or others are. Complex trauma usually occurs repeatedly, uh, uh, cumulatively, and can even increase over time. So it's not just one thing happening, but it's happening over and over and over again. And sometimes something happens when we're younger, and then that's revisited when we get older, and uh, we have to deal with it differently than others because we've already been through that, and there's a, there's a vulnerability and a sensitivity uh, to that specific need. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight is the complex aspect of it, where it isn't really, if I said to you, why are you stressed? You may say, I don't even know if I can identify a singular um, moment in time or crisis. It's just overall I'm stressed. And so that's kind of the spirit of our study tonight. Tomorrow, uh, we will talk about traumatic stress, uh, acute stress, and some of the things that we can deal with as it relates to that. So Paul here in our text, just to set up our study as we look at the end of chapter 11, the beginning of chapter 12, he is basically showing his credentials for ministry. It's been questioned, and he's using his wounds and his scars to say, I have suffered for Christ. Uh, and so he views them as a badge of honor. He views even the stress and the trauma he had been through uh, to really be a part of validating uh, himself before his critics. Uh, and so the, the question tonight is this, as we learn from the example of Paul, in a world filled with maybe what seems like minor by themselves kind of stressors, how do we deal with when they reach critical mass in a way that pleases and honors the Lord? All right, so let's talk about two biblical perspectives as it relates to incremental stress that I think can help us. Number one, we need to have a biblical perspective as it relates to our weaknesses. Perspective shaped by the Scriptures as it relates to our weaknesses. Um, any of you notice that you, when you look in a mirror, things are changing on you? Um, I don't know how else to say that nicely. The other day I heard someone said this, don't stress about whoever... However, that is, answer it, okay? Help us out here. Uh, here's the, here's the, um, the admonition. Don't stress about your eyesight failing as you get older, right? Don't worry about that. And here's the, the tongue-in-cheek encouragement. It's nature's way of protecting you from the shock you would have otherwise as you pass everything that reflects you, okay? You're just not as shocked by it. You don't even see it, all right? Ignorance is bliss. 
Can I tell you, as we move through life, if we're not careful, our perspective becomes distorted by the grind of life. When I look around this room as your pastor, many of you have let me into your life. You've faced a lot of things recently. You're still navigating things. And in the midst of that, often what happens when we feel weak is our weakness distorts what's accurate. It distorts what's true and what's right and what's relevant uh, in our lives. The example I would give you as it relates to our emotions would be this. I think this is a profound thought. Someone said this, you cannot see your reflection in boiling water. Similarly, you cannot see the truth when you're in a state of anger. So that's, that's true of anger, that's true of, of fear, that's true of any kind of emotional um, where we're just overwhelmed and inundated with an emotional response. Often we fail to see accurately with the perspective of God. All right, so let's talk about a couple things as it relates to this. And these, these subpoints are there in your outline if you'd like to track along with us. Number one, biblically process weakness that leaves you overwhelmed. Biblically process weakness that leaves you overwhelmed. So Paul begins to talk about this. Look back at our text after verse 28 where he talks about the, the care of the churches. He now unpacks that a bit. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? And so Paul was processing uh, the feelings of being overwhelmed and what God had assigned to him. All right, let me give you a couple things quickly underneath that. Number one, when we're overwhelmed in ministry, many of us in this room, we serve God in our church, or we serve in our family, we serve in our community, and we serve on behalf of God in different areas of influence. And often it is in those settings that we feel overwhelmed. Paul here is dealing with um, the struggles that he faces as he serves the churches that he has planted or he's helping strengthen and says that that's the greatest, most intense source of stress uh, in his life. Have you found this to be true, that spiritual battles are also always more exhausting than physical ones? You know, you're dealing with interpersonal things, soul-on-soul kind of things. It's not the physical grind that ultimately uh, weakens us. It is the things that are intangible. And so Paul talks on this. All of this nervous energy that he felt uh, often left him uh, exhausted. Um, As you know, many of you, we have started a new ministry, Inspire Counseling Ministries, and um, one of our prayers is that we can strengthen those who serve uh, in leadership in local church ministry. Um, And maybe just to help you appreciate, not necessarily me, but if you're visiting from another church, your pastor or even our other staff guys that serve here, Um, An author said this, ask any pastor who really takes his work seriously, and he will tell you of the pressures he feels in ministry. People in crisis, people leaving, people coming, people falling through the cracks, people disconnected or disappointed by the pastor, people disappointed, uh, disappointing to the pastor. During the work of the pastor, uh, during this work, the pastor is trying to find the time to study, pray, prepare, uh, as well as his family. He's trying to improve himself, train up new leaders, meet the budget. The list goes on and on. And most pastors feel a burden for all the other things they could be doing. More evangelism, more involvement in the neighborhood, more for the poor, more for missions, more for the city, more to address global concerns, more to address social concerns. There's just no limit to the ministry. It's an exhausting experience. And so wherever you serve tonight, whether it's in ministry in an official capacity or not, We must allow God to give us a proper perspective uh, in the ministry. I have found this to be true. A fatigued decision is always a foolish decision. And wherever you serve tonight, whoever you're called to serve, be very careful to not allow that weakness to distort the next move, the next decision that you are tempted to make. All right, verse 30, he says, If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. Skip down to verse 32. He gives an example of this. In Damascus, the governor under uh, Eratos, the king, kept the city of, De- of the Damascenes with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped at his hands. And so Paul gives an example of when he had to flee. It had to have been an embarrassing uh, moment. It had to have been a moment of weakness, and yet he gloried in what God had allowed him uh, to be a part of. Um, have you ever heard the expression before, God will never give you more than you can handle? Have you heard that? Baloney. Seriously. Can I tell you, there is nothing, there's no crucible that will defy that statement more than when you try to serve the Lord. Whatever that is in your home setting, whatever that is in the community, whatever it is in the church setting, 
the feeling of inadequacy is a gift in the ministry. It's something to glory in. It's something to celebrate because it reminds us of our finiteness. I don't know how to do this, and I don't know how to deliver on this, and I don't know how to sustain this. And yet the infinite power and potential that God has allows us to revel uh, in what He alone can do. What I love about the ministry is it regularly overwhelms me, and it gets me out of the way so that God can show up, and God can do something. And so tonight, if you're stressed, can I encourage you, maybe the view is you don't believe that God gives us more than we can handle. You're trying to do it all yourself instead of exit stage right or left and let God enter into that situation and do His work. All right, then notice if you will, uh, number two, not only overwhelmed in ministry, number two, overwhelmed in resistance. And we see that reference, these last couple of verses we just read, verses 31 to 33, the resistance that Paul had to deal with. No matter what we do, we're going to have resistance in our fallen world. Have you noticed that? Trying to fix something, trying to do something. There's always things that happen, things that break, and things that break down. But when we're doing ministry, uh, we're also facing spiritual uh, resistance. And so Paul here reminds us that all of this is a part of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Just kind of a word of application, we'll move on. Serving God is about being a part of something bigger than self, hence the reason it can be so overwhelming and friction-filled. Here's the question, where do you need to learn to glory in God who gives you more than you can handle? I'm grateful that God wants to do great things through me and through you, but if I'm not willing to be overwhelmed and then allow Him to enter into that moment, I'm going to miss, all of us are going to miss much of what He wants to do through us. All right, go to chapter 12 now. So all of that is to set the table for these key verses that will now follow in chapter 12. Paul says this in verse 1, it is not expedient for me to doubtless glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, so 14 years removed from when this was written. Whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth such a one caught up to the third heaven. Number two, jot this down, biblically processed weakness that not only leaves us feeling overwhelmed, number two, leaves us humbled. Biblically processed weakness that leaves us humbled. Now, this is a key point tonight. Why don't we like to feel weak? Um, There are probably several reasons. Maybe we feel vulnerable. Maybe we feel, um, there's a list, a litany of things we could probably mention, but probably the number one reason is because when we feel weak, we also have to struggle with our pride, right? I'm self-sufficient. I'm good. I got this. Those kind of statements. Instead of allowing weakness where God allows it uh, to sustain or to produce humility. The other day, somebody sent me this picture, um, and the caption was this. Um, I was just out of the country just recently. This is how other countries imagine that Americans eat breakfast every day, all right? like six pounds of bacon, a couple fried eggs and toast and coffee, and a gun, just in case, you know. Um, we, we Americans, we like to project strength, right? We, we, like to, we like that, you know. Do we really need a gun sitting on the table? I don't know, but it's cool, all right? It just, it just says something, okay, to the neighbor looking through the window. I don't know, whatever, but it just projects strength. Can I tell you, though, we love to project strength, It is the incremental, listen to me, God allowed stressors of life that remove that. You have enough stress, you can't keep projecting strength. It wears you down. And I would submit to you lovingly tonight, that's a gift from God as it relates to our pride. It wears away, it strips away that veneer of our self-sufficiency. And what happens when we are weak and God confronts our pride with that weakness, we do one of two things. We either are humbled or we get bitter, and we resent what God has allowed in our life. May we be willing to be humbled in the context of our weaknesses. Someone said this, most of pride's prisoners think that they're the guards. Most of pride's prisoners think that they are the guards. And I'm telling you, there are more in this room that we'd probably be willing to admit. We are in prison and we are in bondage to our own pride. And that collision of our pride and our weakness is wearing us out. Can I encourage you, 
accept the weakness if it's of God and allow it to produce in your heart and mind the humility that positions us to be used like the Apostle Paul. All right, now a couple things about that quickly. Number one, first of all, humbled in our gifting. We read verses one and two as Paul talks about, he goes from one of the humiliating experiences as an apostle at the end of chapter 11 to now one of the most glorious ones. Paul here is saying, I saw a vision nobody else saw. He's using a man in a generic sense, but he is referencing himself here. In verse 3, he says, I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise or to where God is. He had this heavenly vision and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. And so Paul saw glorious things, and maybe that's what prompted him to, re- to write 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He had seen glory, and so he allowed that to affect his view of the present tense. Verse 5, of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I want not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I, should, I shall not be a fool, For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth me. And so this vision Paul had, he was careful to steward it with humility. One of the things we tend to do where we are gifted is instead of that producing in us a greater sense of humility and dependence upon God, we overextend ourselves. We overpromote ourselves. And therefore, the stress that that produces to keep up that profile and to maintain that, 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 that image before others around us. And so may we be careful to steward humbly the gifting that God has given to us. This may seem very obvious to you, but it's convicting to me once you get over kind of the tongue-in-cheek aspect of it. Think of this concept. The number of people who are older than you never gets bigger. The number of people who are older than you and older than me, that number's never going to get bigger, right? Isn't that encouraging? Thank you, Pastor. What a blessing on this wellness weekend. Um, Can I just remind you how quickly we fade and pass? And the gifts, no matter how, listen, you could be the most gifted, um, educated, and, and endowed financially person in the room, and your life is just literally a blip, if that, on the radar of eternity. The window of time that we have to even have gifts, let alone use those gifts, is so quick. It's such a small window. And so may we be careful not to overglory or revel or get overwhelmed with promoting ourselves through our gifting. In fact, I would submit to you tonight, much of the incremental stressors in our lives are the result of having unrealistic expectations about how others will respond to our God-given gifts. Uh, expecting them to appreciate us and affirm us, and all those gifts are temporary at best. May we be humbled in the midst of our gifting. All right, now let's come to the heart of our study as it relates to our weaknesses. Verse 7. So Paul's seen visions. God's worked in his life. He's the great apostle Paul. And in verse 7 he says, "...and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations." I mean, this man wrote the lion's share of the New Testament. He had just seen this vision that he alludes to in verses 1 to 6. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me or to to pound me, to discourage me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Number two, jot this down. So biblically process weakness that leaves you humbled. First, humbled in your gifting that's temporary at best. Number two, humbled in your limitations. Humbled in your limitations. Any of you in the room, uh, you use caffeine to get through your day or maybe just to get into your day? Um, I do. I, I, I've, I've tried to get off it, and by about 11 o'clock, I get this pounding headache that makes me want to punch people, you know? So if it's between punching people or drinking a little bit of caffeine, I've chosen to go with the caffeine. Um, but uh, just being into that. The other day, a friend of mine sent me this. I find this hilarious. He's trying to diet, and he was trying to get off caffeine. And he said this. I've discovered this about dieting. Removing caffeine from your diet eliminates 70% of your will to even live. (laughs) 70% of your even will to... I don't even want to live, okay? 
just, I need something to keep me going. And I, I think as it relates to our limitations, listen to me, we often use artificial stimulants to keep us going where God's trying to limit us and to humble us and to use His grace to be at work in our lives. And the word he uses here, he describes this as his thorn in the flesh. What does he mean by that? Um, We don't know for sure. Our best supposition would be that Paul, in the midst of all that he did, his eyesight was a huge struggle for him. Remember, he was blinded on the road to Damascus. Um, It talks about in several places, you see how large of a letter, how large of a font size I have to use to write this epistle. Um, Imagine Paul not only being blinded, and recovering from that, but then he's writing epistles in dank, dark cells to candlelight at best, and just the effect that must have had on him optically, and the struggle that was, is he likely couldn't even read the book, the, the, the words of the book that God had penned through him, and just the frustration of that, or speaking when he wasn't in prison, and he would get up to preach and had to have somebody else read the text, or remind him of what he had written in his notes. He struggled Uh, with this thing likely of eyesight. It may not have been that, but it was a constant drip, drip uh, of a source of discouragement prior to this chapter in Paul's life. Now, it's interesting also, now as he referred to as the thorn in the flesh, but also it is what? The messenger of Satan. Do you ever feel like that your weaknesses have become an asset to the enemy? And there's a a narrative that that kind of creates in your heart and your mind, and you start hearing, I'm a loser, or I'm a failure, or God must not love me because I'm stuck with this. And so there's this message, this alternative communication going on in the heart and mind of Paul. And in one sense, it did represent Satan's part, his effort to hinder Paul, but God, who is greater than Satan, he wanted to use this thorn. He wanted to use it to further his work in the life of Paul, specifically by keeping him humble. Can I give you a key statement? Would you jot this down tonight as it relates to our limitations? Here it is. Jot this down as it relates to stress. Much of the incremental stress in our lives is not the weakness itself. All right, jot this statement down if you're taking notes. Key statement tonight. Much of the incremental stress in our lives is not the weakness itself, but our unwillingness to submit to its spiritual purpose. Can I give that to you again? Much of the incremental stress in our lives is not the weakness itself, but our unwillingness to submit to its spiritual purpose. That will change your life if you'll yield to that. So here's my question tonight. Why is God allowing things that stress you to continue and to persist? And you've asked him to remove them, and he keeps them there. He refuses to budge. What is his purpose? And are we willing to yield to that purpose? You ever heard the expression before being rubbed the wrong way? That Hey, that listen, buddy, that rubbed me the wrong way. Do we mean that in a positive way? Thank you for rubbing me the wrong way. No, we don't mean that, do we? It's kind of like the, the expression comes from a cat, right? Have you ever tried to to pet a cat from tail to head, and they just kind of like, what is wrong with you, okay? They don't want to be rubbed the wrong way. A lot of things that God lets happen in our lives, they do that, don't they? They they go against the grain. They rub us the wrong way. And I would submit to you, the moment that we resist what God has allowed in our life, we're adding stress. Has it ever played out in human history for a human being to try to do the opposite or to side against God? Is that a winning proposition? Well, that's like being an idiot, right? And we've all been there. Does that decrease stress and friction in our life, or does it just ramp it up? It obviously ramps it up. And so may we be willing to own where it's not, listen to me, our weakness, the shortcoming we have physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, relationally, whatever it is that we wish was different, that's a weakness. The stress is not the weakness as much as we're unwilling to say, God, I want you to do your purpose through this. Humble me, grow me, stretch me, use me, help me to bless someone else with that same weakness. And so the stress does not come from the weakness. It's our reluctance or unwillingness to submit to its spiritual purpose. And so here's the question tonight, before we move to our second main point, would you admit where the ongoing stress is largely your pride, 
in being rubbed the wrong way without surrendering to the humbling collision of your God-assigned gifts and your God-assigned limitations. The saint, listen to me, the same God that gives you your gifts also allows your weaknesses. And it's right there where those collide, that's where we allow stress to just ramp up. Versus saying, God, you're in charge of it all. I yield to it, the process, the purpose, the praise that you will get in that very space. And so may we yield to that which is weakness intended to humble you and me. All right, number two, if you will, go back to our text now to verse 8. So Paul is on the receiving end of this weakness, likely again his eyesight and all that that hindered and hampered him on as he tried to do what God had called him to do. Verse 8, for this cause, this thing, uh, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice or three times that it might depart from me. All right, number two, let's talk for a few minutes about perspective, not only in our weaknesses, but number two in our doubts. Have you ever asked God, you've prayed to God, and then he either doesn't answer or he says no to you? One of the things that starts to creep into our hearts and minds in that moment is not just the first aspect of our study tonight, but of weakness, but also the doubts that come, the narrative that now begins to be fed in our minds as we process what God has said no to. Um, I don't know if you've ever sent a text to somebody and you realize that as soon as you sent the text, your ability to, to um, check the grammar and the spelling went up, but it's not till after you sent it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm like, and, and so here's, here's the narrative. I think I've shared this at least once before. In our church, you know, if I'm texting my wife, typically it'll include babe or love or chicky pee. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. But some term of affection. And now and then I'll send a text to somebody in this church other than my wife with, hey, babe, how's it going? You know, and usually it's a guy. Of course, that, that always plays well. And once you've done that a few times, you literally... It's like you're frozen. You cannot send that text. You just keep looking at it. Okay, is it the right name? Okay, yeah, it is. And did I include anything I shouldn't? And, and just, you know, you just, you lose your confidence. Can I tell you, as life goes by and stress wears us down, one of the things that ebbs, one of the things that doesn't increase oftentimes is our confidence. I'm amazed, listen to me, at how many adults I know who've lost their confidence. They've lost their ability to go to a lost person with the gospel. They've lost their ability to stand up when something needs to be stood up for in the home. They've lost their ability to have integrity at work. They can't say no to wrong or yes to right unless everybody else is doing the same. They've lost their confidence. And so this doubt that begins to creep in as we process our weaknesses and the stresses that are connected to it often hinder our walk with the Lord. All right, let's talk about a couple of things in the time we have left as it relates to this perspective that gets distorted and needs to be fixed during seasons of doubt. Number one, biblically processed doubt that leaves you feeling needy. Paul here is needy. He's asking God. He's begging God. He's repeatedly going to God. He's in a place of need. And I would give you two areas of need that we need to be careful with in these stressful seasons we're in. Number one Needy for sufficiency. Needy for sufficiency. In verse 8, Paul goes back to God and says, God, get rid of this thorn. No, get rid of this thorn. No, get rid of this thorn. No, three times he comes to God and begs God for something to meet the need and to displace this weakness in his life. And rather than removing the problem, what does God give him? Look at verse 9. So Paul wanted something to be gone, and instead God says no to that. He, says, he said unto me, my grace, here it is, is suffi <laughs> sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Rather than removing the problem, God gave him grace in the problem. Here's my question to you tonight. Do you want God's grace enough in your life that if it, if it requires the weakness to remain, the thing that starts to feed the doubt in your heart and head. It, it, do you want His grace enough to accept voluntarily and worshipfully the weakness that God uh, keeps there? This grace is described as sufficient. The word has the idea of adequate in the sense of providing contentment. It was not sufficiency to remove it. It was sufficiency to help Paul be content in the midst 
of this trial, this thorn that he was facing. And so Paul asks three times, God answers three times with his grace. Better than the removal of the trial and suffering for Paul and for us is the companionship of God, the Son of God, his strength, his grace. Notice he says, my grace is sufficient. He doesn't say it will be sufficient. It is sufficient. It's always sufficient. Wherever you're at tonight, God's grace is sufficient. And so when we're in a doubtful season and when we're feeling needy, may we look to God's grace for sufficiency. Um, There are very few times in my life where I have been just satisfied to the hilt. And the few times that I have, to be honest with you, have been when God's grace was just extra sweet and significant. There's no body, there's no thing, there's no place that can satisfy like the grace of God. And I've also found that often those moments were preceded by, or the context in which I experienced them, were not my best moments. They weren't my strongest moments. They were honestly my weakest moments. And in that moment, God's grace flooded my heart, my soul, my home. And in that moment, he proved himself to be sufficient. Another key statement tonight, much of the tension in our lives is the result of chafing under the drip drip of prayers for deliverance where God says no. We hate that. We chafe under that. God, I want you to change this and fix this and remove this or add this. And when that doesn't happen, either as quickly or never happens, those doubts begin to creep in and the the consequential or the sequential stress that follows. And so may we yield to a God who always has our best in mind. Needy for sufficiency. All right, number two, notice the end of verse number nine, Paul's response to that. Now, I would submit to you there probably was a pause, okay? You have words in red. That means Jesus is the one talking to Paul here. Likely then there's a pause as Paul being human and not this kind of angelic being. He probably had to work through that a bit. Here's now his response in verse 9. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Number two, not only are we needy for sufficiency, number two, we're also needy for glory. Needy for glory. Um, This may be a throwback illustration, but at least when I was in high school, I don't know if this is still a thing or not, and especially when my dad was in high school, he was a muscle car era guy, you know, buy a brand new muscle car for three grand, three grand and fill it up for 30 cents. I mean, he's of that era, okay, and he's always rubbing that into me. In fact, the car that he bought for three grand is probably worth 100 and something grand now if he had kept it, um, the muscle car era. And one of the things that they would do is sit at a stoplight, right, and, you know, just let let the asphalt rumble, rumble as they're getting ready to, you know, just take off. The ones who did that were the ones with the big trucks. Big trucks maybe is more of the thing today, or big cars. Have you ever seen two guys in, like, Ford Escorts or Yugos, like, just rumbling at the, the starting point? Uh, my dad always, you remember the Yugos? You know what I'm talking about? Those little cheap imports that you would buy them, and the next week you had to replace them, you know, that kind of a car. My dad would always say, you know why they're called a you-go, right? You go and I stay. That's how small they were. You couldn't even get two people in those cars. They were just crazy. But two you-goes rumbling at the starting line, that, that's not glorious. We glory in power, don't we? When's the last time you've gloried in weakness? Paul here is glorying in the fact God said no and God said you're stuck with the weakness. He gloried in that. Why? Not because of his own power, but the power of Christ that then could rest upon him. The power of God that could be manifested through him. And so our neediness is not a neediness to get rid of all the stress and all of the worry and all the doubts and weakness. It's a need for the glory of God. And so Paul here glories in God's no to his prayer. All right, verse 10. Therefore, he goes on, I take pleasure in infirmities. So he begins to list these things, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, here it is, in distresses, there's the word that speaks to this idea of stress, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. So Paul here says what is humanly unnatural to say, he glories in the weakness, he glories in what God is going to do through the weakness, 
as he experiences the power of God. Now, this is key tonight as it relates to our, our abilities or our strength. We will never be as powerful as we are when we are weak and Christ is able to demonstrate his strength through us. You on your own, on your best day, still are light years beneath the power of Christ in the life of a surrendered, weak believer who takes their weaknesses and said to God, this stresses me out. I don't know how this is going to play out, but I surrender to your power. That power uniquely is expressed in the life of that believer. We're not strongest when we don't have weaknesses. We're strongest when we have weaknesses and Christ's strength is manifested through us. We have a need for the glory of God. Now, this will push back against the world's thinking. Think about this for just a moment. If you know you have a chronic illness or a chronic condition or a chronic, I don't know, home situation or financial, whatever it is, and this, I'm now, this is me the rest of my life, it'll never be better than it is right now. The temptation for us is to say that then is what? Endured. I have to endure this thing I'm stuck with. Paul gives us an alternative choice, doesn't he? We can actually enjoy it. Now, that, that seems humanly impossible, doesn't it? But with the spirit and the focus and the attitude of Paul here, we can glory even in our weaknesses. We can enjoy them because of what that means between us and the Lord. And so this question tonight, what do you do when God tells you no or leaves you in a place of perpetual need? One of the greatest reductions of stress in your life will be when you finally resolve, listen to me, to worship God in the place of need. Like, I love to worship God when He's met some need and He's moving in my life or my family, but am I willing to worship Him where I need something? Where I have a weakness, where I have a shortcoming, and it doesn't seem like there's any way out. Am I willing to worship God in that place? There was a lady I was reading several years ago. Her name was Emma the wife of a Polish nobleman years ago, and there was a biography that was written about her. Emma was known to lead a life of frustration and disappointment. It was just one thing after another, death and disease and all kinds of heart-wrenching wrenching things that happened in her life. And her biographer paid a remarkable tribute to her at the end of his biography of her life. He said this, she made magnificent bouquets out of the refusals of God. She made magnificent bouquets out of the refusals of God. Brethren, can I encourage you tonight, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, He always allows and only allows what is for your good and His glory. And the problem is we first doubt that it's for our good, and number two, we're unwilling to then give Him glory. Therefore, the stress in our lives oftentimes, not always, but largely, as a result of a wrong spirit toward the God who has left you in a place of need. All right, lastly, look, if you will, verse 11. Let's spend a few minutes here, these last few verses, in a second area where our perspective gets skewed when we're dealing with incremental stress. Look at verse 11. Paul says, I've become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest of apostles, though I be nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs, in wonders, and in mighty deeds. Number two, jot this down, biblically processed doubt that leaves you questioned. All right, what's the point of these last couple of verses we're going to look at? Paul is saying, because I am weak, my authority and my influence is being questioned by those who should be following me. Um, I don't know about you, I like to follow people who are successful, right? They got their act together and, and things are clicking for them. But when we go through seasons of weakness, those that we're called to lead begin to question whether we have legitimate uh, claim of influence. And so Paul here is navigating this. Look at Paul, look at his thorn, look at how he's suffering and his prayers are going unanswered. And the, the chatter begins. He's being questioned. Ever had someone question you? Question your God? How could God love you if he let that happen to you? Or to someone you care for? The questions begin to come in, these doubtful questions. How do we process that, especially during stressful seasons? And there are two things we see Paul being questioned on that probably we will be as well. Number one, he's questioned in his authority. These verses we just read. 
Are you an apostle? How can you be an apostle? You have these weaknesses and these shortcomings, and again, your prayers are going unanswered. And so he deals with his authority being questioned. Um, For those of us who lead in the room tonight, whether our families or in the church setting or community, I'm sure all of us have areas of influence. Leaders that navigate stress without health, without emotional and spiritual health, begin to leak influence. Those that lead me and influence me are in a good place emotionally and spiritually. Even though they may have weaknesses, they're growing, they're thriving, they're pleasing the Lord. When we're not, we leak influence. Leaders with emotional health see their weaknesses as a means to greater validation by God's grace in their area of influence. Your weaknesses, listen to me, if you will let God use them, can become your greatest asset and influence. Can I give you an example of that very quickly? I had a a man I respect who's ahead of me several years in ministry who challenged me with this thought. Think about this thought. This may apply to you in some area. He said, we pastors sometimes are guilty of using illustrations of our own sanctification where I used to have an issue and now I've arrived or I've gotten victory in that area. And he said, here's what we do. We use stuff from 10 years ago. I used to be where you're at and I used to struggle with that. And now several years removed, I've got that area squared away. He said, we need to share illustrations of where we're still in process. Am I willing to share with you what I struggled with yesterday or this morning? Are you willing to do the same? Our weaknesses are what we actually can, God can use to impact others around us. We think putting on a show and keeping up a profile, that's what impacts people. No, it's being real. And so our stress and our weakness and our burdens, if used by the Lord, become the most redeemed aspects of our lives in the areas of influence God has given. People are impressed with your profile, possibly, but they're impacted and they're influenced in the areas of struggle that you have. And God knows that. All right, go down to verse 15. Lastly, Paul says this, and I will gladly, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, you Corinthians, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Number two, Paul's love is questioned. He's questioned in his authority. Number two, he's questioned in his love. You ever had your love question? That's a tough I don't think you love me. I don't think you care about me. You have a different agenda in mind. I was in Atlanta two weeks ago, and we were having a conversation, the pastor and I, and then a younger man, and we were talking about, do you remember the reading program for personal pan pizzas? Do you remember that? I think maybe I shared this with some of you once before, but we were trying to explain to him how you'd read books, and then you would go get this little pan pizza. And I mean, that revolutionized my life. I mean, it was just a huge motivation for me uh, in my elementary years. And you would walk in, you know, with your, I think they gave you a badge or something. And you just like strut in, be like, give me the usual, you know, and you just kind of point to the counter and they'd slap it down. You'd have your coupon or whatever it was. Um, And this pastor was sharing me with this thought. And I just think this is hilarious. He said, my New Year's resolution is to pursue Jesus the way I pursued these bad boys, these, these personal pizzas, like Jesus. I need to pursue Jesus like I used to pursue those. I love those. I love pizza. I'm going to do anything to get those. Where, where is our love tonight? What do you love? Who do you love? When we're in a weak season or we're stressed out, we tend to turn to ourselves. I love me, and I like me, and I want me to have this and not to have that. And so our love... Uh, must be focused upon the Lord. And so Paul here says, you Corinthians, this church gave him more grief than any other church he worked with. They had to have stressed him out, if that was an expression in that day. And he said to them, I still love you. Whether you love me back or whether you think I love you or not, I love you. Do you catch yourself in stressful seasons losing your sense of love for others? Uh, We need to lean into that instead of run from that. And so we see Paul here modeling so well this spirit of love. Incremental stress can only be sweetly shouldered when we remember that our motivation is love of God and love of neighbor. No matter how it's perceived, we must give ourselves to that kind of love. So this word of application will bring this to conclusion tonight. Often we view being questioned by others as attacks or threats, a tendency that when we're stressed, is often our bent. May we instead respond with a gentle 
response. May we rely upon God to validate us and affirm us as we continue to love others. All right, I want to give you, I'll give you tomorrow morning another resource. Would you jot down this book title? This might be a book for you to get. Just came out a week ago. It's a great book. It's called The Stressless Life. Stressless Life. Stressless is one word by Vance Pittman. And uh, it's a great book on how to minimize stress, how to process stress. Uh, and I think it'd be a huge help to you. We'd love to hear feedback from you on the book. But uh, that would be a recommended resource that I hope uh, God will use in your heart in the days ahead. All right, last picture tonight. Um, I'm fascinated with history, and uh, my brother is in London, and uh, there's a lot of museums in London, and the ones that fascinate me are the ones that are beneath the streets of London. In fact, where World War II would have majorly been managed in Great Britain was right beneath the prime minister's apartment or uh, his, his house there was a room that is still there. It's pristine. They still have the chairs set up the way they were, um, some of the implements on the desk. You can go and at least look into this room. And in this room is a chair, and you're seeing in front of you a picture of one arm where Winston Churchill would have sat during the bombings of London, all of the defensive maneuvers as well as the offensive maneuvers of World War II, Winston Churchill sat in this chair. And what's interesting, if you look at the chair closely, this is the left arm of the chair. The right chair also had some grooves on the arm, was his ring that just slowly wore down those grooves in that chair as London was rattled by bombs. And he made, listen to me, he made decisions daily that determined the fate of humanity from a human perspective. The incremental grind and wear of what he went through. Now, I don't know if you have a chair, but I will tell you there, is, there are grooves and ruts and wearing that happens when we're in the midst of stress. And what we do daily determines long-term the health and vitality of everybody and everything we touch and impact. You can say, I just got stressed out or I just blew, I just blew up or I just let off some steam that has a daily impact that reaches critical mass at some point in your life. And so what we're trying to do as a church today is to prevent where that eventually goes. Now, here's the last thought, and we're done. What did Paul ultimately, where did he end? Did he, does he get free of this, and he retires somewhere on a hillside with servants waiting on him? No, he was what? He was beheaded. There was a moment coming that was a traumatic moment that every day as he handled the stressors of life, he was preparing for that crucial moment. And I want to encourage you tonight, we're all headed toward eternity and glory with the God, but there's probably some pretty big moments of stress that await us before that. And you're today and you're tomorrow and you're the next day setting yourself up for how you're going to handle that bigger moment of stress. Are we managing stress? Are we stewarding stress? in a way that pleases and honors the Lord. Here's the question, we'll pray. Will you allow God to give you a biblical perspective on stress that is induced by weakness, and number two is induced by doubt? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word tonight.